Hi, and welcome to today's Community Conversations. We've had some incredible people on this podcast, and today we've got Tabani Chuma. He's a journalist and a slam poet. He's the winner of the 2019 Melbourne Spoken Word Prize, People's Choice Award, and Convener's Choice Award. We are so excited to have him. Welcome, Tabani. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Where are you actually from? I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. Um, so I, I grew up in a town called Inyanga before moving to the capital city of Harare um, about midway through my high school. Yeah, no, so I did want to ask, so where was your primary and secondary education done? Um, they were both in Zimbabwe at um, private schools boarding school so what was that like for you and what were those experiences like um it was interesting because in i have i've been doing a lot more reflection on them now in hindsight um at the time it was because i went to boarding school so i was in boarding school from age six um and in the moment you don't realize the impact of that separation from kind of like the core family unit? Yeah, if I had to send my child at six to boarding school, I would be just totally devastated. I don't, I don't know if they would even cope. Yeah, but you, you normalise it. And I guess in Zimbabwe it's pretty common. A lot of the private schools are boarding schools because they're, they're located pretty far from the main cities. Um, so my school was about an hour away from Harare. Um, and when I used to live in Inyanga, it was about three hours away. So it was that commute, <laughs> that Monday morning commute. We'd wake up at like four in the morning to try and be there by seven. Um, but you, like, I, I feel like myself and a lot of my peers, we normalized the experience. And it's kind of like you don't know any difference. So you don't have a frame of comparative reference. So it's like boarding school was all a lot of us ever knew so we we couldn't miss something that we'd never experienced and did you enjoy those experiences or did you find them quite traumatic a mix of both I feel like there's you know there's always the good that comes with it and there's always the bad and I think what what I've been unpacking lately now is kind of the how, how rooted in kind of colonial Zimbabwe our school was because it was a private school so it was following the British school system and it was very rooted in kind of colonial Britain um, and like I said going back to that idea if you don't realize it in the time but a lot of a lot of our culture was actually like snubbed out like we weren't allowed to speak um the indigenous languages and you're not really allowed to practice the indigenous cultures and i guess i like in primary school there was probably three black kids in my year so in like in every year there was about two or three so in total, we were there was less than ten people initially in my primary school that were black, 
Um, and then later, as kind of the years progressed and Zimbabwe's political landscape changed, the school started allowing more Black students in and it kind of created more of a representational um, reflection of the community. Um, so it, it always put me in a in an odd cultural position because you, I was kind of existing in between worlds where like I'm not part of this um, essentially white culture that I'm being educated in. Um, and because I'm in that system, um, I'm not fully accepted by the local culture. So it's like, you're not, you're not one of them. You're not one of us. You're just kind of a, a bit of a nomad in between both worlds. You know, that's exactly what a lot of students talk about even today um, in their own worlds that they are still trying to fit into mm. that colonial way of educating yet, you know, ignoring their own culture um, and ah. sometimes they call themselves transformers and I always ask, what is a transformer? And they're like, well, you know the transformers into that you another, see in yeah. movies where they can transform from one person into another? That's that's what they have to do. And sometimes they do it like on an hourly basis. So at lunchtime they can transform back to themselves when they hang with their group and then they transform back yeah. into yeah. another person when they enter the classroom. It's, and in a sense it's a survival mechanism. It's like you you blend in to to avoid conflict and to avoid kind of you know unnecessary attention on yourself and drawing did you find that yeah did you find that very tiring because i think students find yeah, that extremely it's, tiring it's it's one of those tolls that you don't you don't realize how much it takes out of you and within the mix of that there's you know that that loss of identity that comes with never, you know, with constantly playing a role. It's, you know, it's that, that theatric quote of how if you play the role long enough, you start to lose yourself and you forget where the line draws and like where, yeah. how much of it is, is the role that I'm playing and how much of it is actually me and like where, where does one stop and the next begin? Um, I find that a really fascinating um piece that you're talking about there because I was just recently watching an interview with mm. the actor who played the Joker in the rising up of, you know, uh, those yeah. people at the bottom of society. And at one stage he didn't know whether he was playing which role, whether he was in either role or whether yeah. he was playing the role at home or not. He was so overwhelmed by that role. So it's a very interesting, it's sort of like being mm, an actor 100%. really in a play. So you did your high school, yes. obviously, um, and, in Zimbabwe? And then after that, I left Zimbabwe for America. Um, so I spent, I spent about two years in America before moving here to Melbourne and continuing my studies here. So can you just tell me about those differences that you felt between perhaps the American education system and the Australian one when you came here? Was there, you know, noticeable differences or did you have to transform yourself again? Um, I'd say the most noticeable 
is is the interactions with people. Um, I feel like in in America there's this this level of of honesty, um, whether it's on the the good side or the bad side. Like the the primary example is like where where race is concerned. If if someone in America doesn't doesn't like you based on your race, they're they're not afraid to admit that, and they're not afraid to be open about the source of the discrimination. Um, but here, I find there's that that layer of political correctness or a desire to be politically correct. So it's it's it makes it difficult to kind of gauge where you stand with someone because everyone is trying to uphold this model of oh no we we love everybody um despite history and despite you know the the way society plays out um and i guess in in an education context it's like universities are essentially their hubs of multiculturalism um and when we pretend like they aren't you know it's that idea of you know i don't see color when you pretend that you kind of snub out a culture because by acting like you don't see it is you know it's not acknowledging its existence and it's pretending like it it isn't there and it's also reinforcing whiteness Mm. by pretending that it's not there because just reinforces the center Mm. yeah so did you find that in the education system here Yes, and I guess I I had a particularly um, unique experience because I was studying journalism, um, and and with journalism, it's interesting because you're you're trained to respond as the media responds, and it's it was such a strange juxtaposition because initially you you're told about the the ethics of media and the necessity for objectivity but at the same time you know you're trained to to frame stories in a in an australian quote unquote australian perspective and it's like it has to be relatable to the majority and it's not it it doesn't it's not necessarily re- reflective of the truth it's just kind of more tailored to to pushing papers and like making making the sale engaging with the majority community um and i feel like that while it has its benefits um i feel like it does a disservice to communities in general because there's that underrepresentation um and that's that's kind of the way the media operates it's like it it plays the role of objectivity that's subjective it's like it still errs on the side of caution and you know it's a it's about avoiding unnecessary controversy and it's about playing it safe in in the name of kind of engaging the majority and so how do you overcome that as a journalist <laughs> well that's what i'm struggling with <laughs> Um, in kind of building my career it's for me it's about aligning with the the organizations that represent 
the ideas and values that I want to represent. Um, so it becomes, you know, difficult. It's like, I could, you know, attempt to work in the big media organizations, but it it comes with that trade-off. It's like, you know, you can have the successful career, but the cost is that the stories you'll be telling will be watered down and will be to the perspective that ultimately serves a particular agenda. Um, because there's there has to be that acknowledgement of the fact that a lot of media organizations are in fact businesses um, and they do have to generate a profit. And the only way to generate profit is by creating content that will engage with the majority of consumers, um, which, you know, it questions the, the integrity of journalism as an institution. Um, so I would... I would overcome it by kind of allow aligning with more independent organizations because they're they're still true to that that value of complete objectivity and it's like let's just tell the story as it is not necessarily frame it in a particular way and and I think and that's probably why I don't have many um white friends as an ally uh, because I'm not very popular <laughs> in supporting um, perhaps African Australians or multicultural um, communities mm. because I'm willing to tell the truth. Mm. So now I want to go on to your slam poetry mm. and I wanted to ask what does slam poetry allow you to do that journalism can't? Um, I think it's for me, well, there's there's layers to it. On on one level, there's the the technical elements, where um, poetry in general has uh, a lot of creative freedom. So it's like it's not tethered by um, the the technical limitations. Like with journalistic writing, it's very facts only, like who, what, where, when, why, how. Um, but with with poetry, you're allowed to be more colorful, and it's the limits of reality don't apply. It's like the metaphor can be can be anything, and can be it can be played with and explored. It's it's a more malleable form of writing, which I really I really appreciate because it's I guess that's where the creativity comes in. It's like you get to express yourself fully in a way that I could never do in journalism. And and I think it's it's largely with um the personal aspect. It's like poetry is for a lot of writers, it's a very personal experience. Whereas with journalistic writing, um in order to be objective, you kind of have to put aside personal feelings and report on on the facts um but poetry can poetry can be influenced by emotion it can be influenced by the deep feeling experiences that kind of make us human and i think that's one of the things i i appreciate most about poetry is it's kind of a distillation of that pure humanity that's kind of interconnects all of us i noticed that your Slam poetry is quite theatrical, even <laughs> in movement. 
Yes. Which is really, really interesting when it is combined with the word. Yeah, I think it's something that I developed later in my... Because I guess I I haven't really been doing um, slam poetry and performance poetry for very long. Uh, I started writing maybe when I was in high school. Um, But I, I didn't know that spoken word and performance poetry and slam poetry were a thing until maybe I came to Melbourne. They just weren't on my radar. And and to a degree that's, you know, that's influenced by education. It's like a lot of the poets that I learned about in school were, you know, the quote unquote dead poets. It's like they, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that contemporary poetry was still a thing. I was like, oh, you know, poets, poets are a thing of the past. It's a, a bygone era. Um, and I find with with being theatrical, it's like your body is, it's an extra element that you can use on stage. Because um, with with my written poetry, it's, there's the the form of, the poem on the page that acts as that body and that element um, that gives it an extra dimension and gives the words kind of um, character. It's like you you use line breaks and your your stanza structuring as as the physical elements of the poem, but on stage, you know, you don't have that. Uh, an audience can't kind of see a line break when you're reading it out loud. Um, and that's where I find the body adds to that physicality and that tangible element that kind of transcends the words almost. Um, and, and I also find that with, with most people, it's difficult to, to take in all the words. So moving and kind of like carrying the poem through the body allows it allows for the audience to engage with something more than just the words. And it kind of, for me, I feel like it, it adds value to the poem and makes it something more memorable than just the words. Cause it's like, I've heard really good poems that are kind of just read with a, a monotone and no kind of theatricality. And from from a technical writing perspective, it's like, oh, that poem is brilliant. But it's like this is the medium. The the stage is is the medium that I'm using to convey it. It's like how can I increase the the effectiveness of that delivery and how can I make this experience something more than just, you know, the words that I've written. Yeah, I, I'm glad you actually said that because when I was looking at your YouTube clips, which I will put on um, underneath on this podcast for anybody who wants to have a look, I actually had to look at them a couple of times because mm. I was so um, sort of interested in the theatrics that I couldn't get all the words. So yeah. <laughs> I, I had to replay it a few times so that um, I could actually concentrate on the words, knowing that the theatrics was there once I had seen the theatrics because mm. I did find it. You know, I really enjoyed the theatrics, but then I sometimes lost the message. 
And yeah. so I had to rewatch it. And look, I I really enjoyed it. And I think that the the theatrics makes it actually. Yeah, and I guess that's it's always a trade off. It's like, um, what's what do I need to convey in the moment? And that's why I guess with with slam poetry versus like um, a regular feature set that I would do, um, I would tear more towards theatricality in a slam um, because a slam is about, it's about that high impact in a short amount of time. It's, it's, I guess for those who don't know what a slam is, it's essentially a competition of poetry where you have three rounds. Um, each poet is given a time limit of three minutes to deliver a piece and every round they eliminate some of the poets. So, yeah, um, they're scored randomly by judges picked out from the crowd. So it's like scored out of 10. Um, so with that, it's like that's that's the, the fast pacedness of, of performance poetry. And it's like you have to make a large impact in a small amount of time. Um, and you're not allowed to use any props, but the body can always act as a prop and the body is the body essentially is a prop um so i like to use that and make it make it a little more memorable in that short amount of time um and a lot of slam audiences it's like their first experience um into performance poetry um so it's nice to kind of give them something high octane and like something that they'll remember and be like oh yeah I went to a slam poetry and it was like it was intense it was just like wow all over um yeah well now I'm completely addicted because I subscribe (laughs) to the slam poetry on YouTube and so now I'm getting all these feeds which is fantastic so some of the messages that you um put through your poetry are often personal as you pointed out Mm -hmm. But they do address issues such as racism and um, sort of whiteness and colonialism in that. Mm, Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, definitely. Um, Because I believe it's um, poetry is, I feel like all poetry is political in the sense that it's, it's an expression of how an individual is feeling and how an individual, like the experiences that they've gone through. And because of that, it's like it provides a a safe space to kind of discuss these ideas and to to express them to an audience that may or may not be aware of them. And I I think that performance poetry and poetry in general, it has this this ability to act as, you know, an archive of history. It's like the poet is a historian. It's, it's a sliver in time of the, of the human experience. It's like, this is what people were going through at a certain time. Like when I look at older poets, like, you know, Audre Lorde and James Baldwin and Langston Hughes, it's like you, you get a, a snapshot into what the world was like when they were alive and when they were practicing and like what what their experiences were like and it's it's different from 
you know, the history that is um, names and dates and facts. It's like, it's that history that's you, you otherwise wouldn't be able to capture unless you were there. It's like the history of humanity. It's the history of personal relationship. It's the history of what was felt as opposed to just what happened. Um, so I think that's, it's extremely important um, part of like society and part of culture um, as a way of recording, you know, who, who we have been and, you know, who we aspire to be. Because I feel like, um, like I was talking about, poetry is not kind of tethered by reality. It's like there is the imaginative aspects of poetry where we can, we can imagine the ideal futures that we would want um, and write about them and talk about them and express them. Um, and I think that's, that's essential to any, like. Yeah, I think students are very into slam poetry and rap for that particular reason, that it gives you a space that you can address issues that perhaps are political and are sensitive but are acceptable. Yeah. And it's important for students to have that voice. And um, we've been encouraging quite a few of our slam poets to perform, but, um, you know, they are very tentative. But, you know, after listening to this, <laughs> they might, um, you know, bring it all out. Yeah, definitely. Like it's, it is, like it's a scary thing to do. I feel like people always tell me that I never look nervous on stage, but in reality I'm always terrified um it's it's a fear that never really goes away because you know you're sharing a part of yourself you are um in a lot of cases sharing a vulnerable side of yourself and that is that is scary to do um but i feel like the the benefit of it of just getting getting things off your chest sharing with other people and more than anything relating to other people i feel like all all the fear that I've experienced before performing is is always soothed by after performing when someone will come up to me and be like, wow, I you you expressed what I've been feeling but didn't know how to say. It's like, thank you, thank you for, you know, making me feel seen. I feel like Isn't that's that wonderful. Yeah, that makes the fear worth it. It's like, wow, all the fear I was feeling. What advice would you be giving to young slam poets who are just starting out to be to be brave and be be bold and be be reckless I feel like um I would say not to try and be anyone but yourself I feel like a mistake a lot of um poets and writers and artists make is trying to emulate their favorites and that's a good way to learn kind of technical craft of yeah see what the greats have done um but i feel like everyone has a unique voice and a unique experience and i encourage people to lean into that like lean into your own truth and allow yourself to to shine because i know for myself personally for the longest time um, something that stopped me from performing was kind of the the false belief that oh my story is not as interesting or like I don't have I don't have as much to say as other people. Um, 
but the only reason a lot of us feel that way is because we lived, you know, we lived our life. It's like your story is, has no novelty to you. Like you were there, you witnessed everything, you experienced everything. Um, but there are people who haven't heard that. And there are people who've had similar experiences that are just waiting to hear that, oh, it's not just me. Um, and there's immense value to that. So I think, yeah, everyone should endeavor to lean into their own voice and allow themselves to be authentically themselves, which a lot of the time is easier said than done. Well, I think that's perfect advice to um, end our community conversations, but I want to thank you, Tabani, very much for expressing so beautifully um, the events of your life and also the introduction to Slam Poetry. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's like, And I will also provide your Instagram, Facebook links and um, your YouTube links so people can have a look. And um, hopefully one day we might get you to uh, perform for one of the schools. That would be amazing. They would really enjoy it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm completely down. I'd love that. (laughs) All right. So thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Bye.